0: Good morning. Great to see you. Uh, We're we're beginning a new new series called Summer at the Movies. Epic truths from epic movies. Now you might wonder why uh, why we would use movies. Well, a couple reasons. First, C.S. Lewis said that story is more effective in communicating truth than propositions. And so, along with his books that have propositions... C.S. Lewis was always using stories from the Chronicles of Narnia to the Space Trilogy and to other writings in order to communicate truth. His close friend J.R.R. Tolkien felt the same way. And so we have uh, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings and uh, other stories that he wrote. It was said of Jesus, without a story, he did not teach. And if you look into the Gospels, you find that over and over again, the stories that are used were just common stories about daily life. They were not uh, juiced up religious stories. They're about, a, they're, they're about a farmer who's putting seed in the ground. They're, they're stories about common life. And so uh, we're using that model. Uh, John Wesley who was the founder of Methodism, said that if you want to communicate the gospel, you got to go to where the people are. He didn't mean just geographic. He meant where the people are. As long as you're not compromising the gospel, where are the people? Well, in a summer, if you just look at what's at the theaters right now, people people are in the theaters, and they're watching movies. And so we're using, over the next few weeks, a series of movies that are stories that communicate truths that we can find in the Scripture. And uh, so today, we are going to look at a clip for about four and a half minutes based on the movie Hacksaw Ridge. Hacksaw Ridge, let me give you a little background, is actually a movie based on a true story. It's based on the story of a man, a private, first class Desmond Doss, who was drafted, though he was a conscientious objector or a pacifist. He wouldn't carry a gun. But he became a medic. He was ridiculed, ostracized, and persecuted for his stance about his unwillingness to carry a gun. But in his role as a medic, he became a hero. It was in the Battle of Okinawa. The American troops had landed on a shore but then had to scale a cliff in order to fight this battle. On top of the cliff, the Japanese were entrenched. They got up. They fought that battle, they gained some ground, they lost the ground, they had to descend back down off that cliff, leaving many soldiers wounded on the high terrain, except that Desmond Doss did not descend the cliff. And this man, without a gun, for the next hours began to lower wounded soldiers down the cliff by a rope, one at a time, while being shot at by the Japanese. He saved 75 men's lives that day. And this is a four and a half minute clip from that story. I'm scared, I'm scared. Let's go help the pain. No, don't, don't, don't you do that, come on. Come on, Smitty, you stay with me! Let's go, we gotta move! What is it you want to me? tight, okay? You're okay? You're okay, buddy? This is gonna work. One for each leg, Eric. We're gonna get you dressed up in a jiffy and get you down. I got you. I got you now, Eric. You have to trust me now, Eric. You don't have to trust me. You're okay. You're okay. Hey, Ted. It's me, it's Desmond. I'll fix you up. Are you ready to get out of here? Sure am. Please, Lord, help me get one more one one more. Desmond Doss was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor after saving 75 soldiers. We're going to look at the theme of self sacrifice this morning and the importance of self sacrifice in our life. John 15 13 tells us, Greater love has no one than this, than a person lay down his or her life for another. All greatness is measured in part by the personal sacrifice required to achieve it. Let me say that again. All greatness is measured in part by the personal sacrifice required to achieve it. There's three, uh, maybe three aspects to greatness. One is it's something out of the ordinary. I was watching an interview with Phil Mickelson, a PGA uh, golfer and uh, great, and he was being interviewed about his uh, golfing techniques, and uh, in the course of the interview, the guy was asking him a question about hitting short irons, and uh, Mickelson made just kind of a blanket statement, and the, the guy said, no, I mean, actually, how do you actually do that? And he said, you mean you want the technical description of how I do it? Yeah, yeah. So Phil Mickelson started talking about hitting a ball 140 yards. He said, to start with, I probably hit a, a 1,500 balls 140 yards uh, sometime during the month. He said, I take, I take uh, great care to understand the kind of grass I'm going to be hitting from and the kind of grass I'm hitting in. What's the slope of the grass? Now, at this point, I start smiling to myself because I think he's actually treating a golf ball as if when he hits it, he knows where it's going to go. A concept form to me. My idea of being under par is if I find more balls, then I lose. So. <laughs> It wasn't that funny. <laughs> so here's a guy who checks the wind, who knows the, the way the grass is, is bending, knows the type of grass he's hitting to. And he says, I'll hit 1,500 of those, and I usually know within a five-foot radius where that ball's going to land. Now, how does a guy get to that place? He just doesn't drive by a golf course one day, Said, man, that looks fun, I think I'm going to go get myself some clubs and go out and golf. And then the next thing you know, he's hitting a ball 140 yards and it's landing five feet from the hole. And I don't care how much you like golf, if you're hitting 1,500 shots a month just for the 140-yard shot, let alone all the other shots, you're hitting that ball when nobody's watching, when you'd actually rather be home with your wife or your husband or your kids because you're expending yourself and you're functioning out of the ordinary in the public because you're living out of the ordinary in your private life. You remember the clip played, uh, the the message played a couple weeks ago of John Maxwell who said people have uh, uphill goals but downhill habits? Well, he has uphill goals and he has uphill habits. So greatness partly comes out of uh, living out of the ordinary. It also is measured partly by how much it benefits other people. When I read that Johnny Depp has nine houses and art collection, I'm not particularly moved. But when I read that Paul Newman started a whole series of companies with salad dressing and all kinds of other food products, and the profits of all those all those products go into nonprofit organizations, and even after his death now those companies continue to give, I'm impressed by that. I think this is a guy. Who knows something about what life's about. But whether whether I'm living out of the ordinary or whether I'm benefiting others, ultimately all greatness is somehow connected to self sacrifice. And we measure it by by that measure. We watch the Olympics, but when we watch the Olympics, we know how much time and energy those young men and women have put into those sports in order to excel. Or we watch music or business. I had a great uncle who owned a large furniture store in Iowa. He said in his lifetime he risked everything he had three times to get to the place he was at. Or education. All greatness is measured in part by the personal sacrifice required to achieve it. Now this is why that matters. This matters. You and I were created, among other things, for two things. One is meaning. Meaning means I have found something to do that I know I was put on this earth to do. And even if I have no audience at all, when I'm doing it, I know that I am pleasing God because he created me to do this thing. The other is impact. Every person is designed in their life to want to feel that something they're doing has some eternal significance. Something that matters beyond just themselves. And so people who are just serving themselves eventually get bored with the entire enterprise. It's not big enough. We were created to have impact. Whether the audience is one or a thousand and one, or a million and one. Billy Graham, who was the icon of evangelical culture, preached the gospel in person to more people than any human being that has ever lived. Congregations sometimes as large as one million people in person heard him speak. Then there was Mordecai Ham, A southern preacher who never moved out of the southern states. And one night at a revival meeting of not large consequence, the end of preaching the gospel, he invited people there that if they were not a Christian, to come forward and give their lives to Christ. And on one night, in that audience was a young man named Billy Graham. And though we know Billy Graham's name, many of us do not know Mordecai Ham's name, and yet Mordecai Ham was the preacher who introduced Billy Graham to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So whether your impact is one or a million in one, you and I were designed for impact. And we don't get meaning or impact without self sacrifice. Ask any mother of three preschoolers I was telling someone the first great crisis in many marriages is between the 8th and the 12th year so there's two things happening between the 8th and the 12th year usually the couple has had a few children but they're all little so the mother has not slept for 6 years nor has she had a hot meal Meanwhile, after 8 to 12 years, the husband is still one of the children. (laughs) Because because men don't actually start growing up until about 30. Raising children well involves self-sacrifice. You can get married and just say, hey, let's go out for a pizza. And you just drop whatever you're doing and head out for pizza. You got a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old, you don't just say, hey, let's go out for pizza. Well, let me rephrase that. The husband says, hey, let's go out for pizza. (laughs) The wife now realizes there's about a hundred decisions to be made before you can even get in the car and head out for pizza. Self-sacrifice. Jesus understood that. Even in the temple, he says, I must be about my father's business, meaning I was created for this. On the cross, it is finished, impact, redemption offered for all the world. So let's look at three types. These are not the only types, but they illustrate for us some of the aspects of self-sacrifice. Let's look at the first one. Giving up the right to being right that's an odd one for self-sacrifice Jesus is hanging on the cross and he's right and everybody who put him there is wrong and yet Jesus to keep an uncluttered spirit says father forgive them for they know not what they do Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. One of the most difficult verses in the Bible, I think, comes out of Paul's writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter on love, when he says, love keeps no record of wrong. Now, that may be easier for some of us than for others of us but it is difficult for all of us love keeps no record of wrong now why is that well one of the reasons Jesus gave the evidence of self-sacrifice by releasing people from his judgment father forgive them for they know not what they do because if you're going to live a redemptive life the bible says Satan opposes anything that's good You don't want nor can you afford to carry around weight that is going to slow you down or hinder you. So the New Testament says, let's throw aside every weight. And if you are keeping record of wrong, it is a weight on your soul. You can't do it. You can't do it and have a spirit that is released. Imagine a young woman who has already bought her wedding dress is excited about her upcoming marriage only to get an email, can you imagine? An email from her fiancé that he's decided not to marry her. And now in this devastated position she moves forward in life deeply wounded and easy to now be wary of anyone else with overtures towards her. And she must decide. If I enter a new relationship, do I enter that relationship with my spirit all bound up from the wound and the wrong that has been done me? Or do I lay that down so that I can approach someone and they can approach me without all the barbed wire that comes around that injury. Giving up the right to being right. Keeping no record of wrong. It's a form of self-sacrifice. Let's look at another one. Giving up the need for sureness. We read in Esther 4.16, If I perish, I perish. Here's the, here's the storyline of this one. Ahasuerus was king of Persia, one of the great empires of the world. He had a queen named Vashti. One day in a wild party, he asked his queen to dance before those at the party with wearing nothing but her crown. She refused to do it, and so she was deposed. They went out a search for another queen. I'm not sure I would want to be in the running there given the the king but nevertheless they searched the land and they discovered Esther Esther was a Jew though the king did not know that she was a beautiful woman she was the cousin of Mordecai who had some influence in the court and she was chosen as the queen in the political intrigues of that court Haman got into a fight with Mordecai. He decided to try to kill Mordecai, but also destroy Mordecai's people, the Jews. Mordecai found out about it. He goes to Esther and he says, you need to appeal to the king on behalf of your people. Esther says, no, no, that's not that that that's not very safe for one thing it was against the law to come into the king's presence unless you were called and she said he hasn't called me mordecai appeals to her she asks for all of her people to pray and to fast for three days and then she goes into the king before she goes she says all right i'll go see the king and if i perish i perish Giving up the need for sureness means I'm inviting risk. And something isn't a risk unless I am allowing something I care about to be threatened or exposed. Something I care about to be threatened or exposed. Now, I like like writing instruments. Some people call them pens. I call them writing instruments. My dad liked craftsman tools. I like writing instruments. I spend on some writing instruments what my dad spent on craftsman tools. I do so with no shame, no apology. So I have a waterman. It's like $60, a waterman. Blue from Paris. The cheapest really good writing writing instrument is a cross, which is about fifty-five dollars. My aunt sent me some money when I got my PhD, and so she said, go buy yourself crassly, she said, a pen. So I went out and bought a $250 pen, a writing instrument. I am at risk of losing a $250 writing instrument. I am never at risk of losing a BIC. (laughs) I might lose a BIC, but it won't even feel lost. (laughs) You and I have things that matter to us. And uh, there's nothing wrong with having things that matter to us. But greatness will always involve being willing to risk something that matters to us. If you're always looking for a route to greatness where nothing's at risk, then you can make sure nothing's at risk, but you will not have greatness. However you define it. Esther had to give up sureness, this Sureness that she was the queen, she was secure, she had to admit to the king that she was a Jew, that her people were the Jews, that they were now under an edict, that Haman had tricked the king into signing that the Jews were to be slaughtered. She was identifying herself as Moses had with his people and she had to take the risk that came with it. Different things are risks to different people. There's some people here in this room who are natural born salesmen and they can sit in an airplane chair seat and fly somewhere and look over to the person next to them and say, I wonder if they know the gospel. And they can just start sharing their own story as easily as if they were uh, talking about a TV show they watched. For me to do that, I die a thousand deaths. It doesn't make any difference that you can rationalize and say, well, they won't kill you. I don't, I don't care. It will feel like being killed. <laughs> and that is a risk for me. Let's look at one more. Giving up the preference for the Familiar. Self-sacrifice of giving up the preference for the familiar. We slip over into the book of Ruth, one of the most beautiful books in the the Bible. Um, Elimelech was married to Naomi. They were from Israel. They had two sons, Malon and Chilion. There was a famine in the land, and so in order to avoid the famine, they moved to Moab. Over in Moab, Elimelech died. Malon and Chilion married Moabite women. Ruth and Orpah. The famine's over. Malon and Chilion died as well. I'm not sure what was in the stew, but things weren't going well for the male part of the family. Not judging. just. So Naomi said, I'm going to return to Bethlehem, my home. You stay here. Go back to your mother's. This is your land. And Orpah stayed. But Ruth replied to Naomi, this famous scripture that we often hear at weddings. Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. For where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. What was the result of Ruth's willingness to live in the unfamiliar? We read about Ruth, that back in Israel she meets Boaz, and she marries Boaz. And they have a son named Obed. becomes the father of Jesse the grandfather of David in the lineage of Jesus Christ but Ruth got to be part of the lineage of Jesus Christ because she was willing to embrace the unfamiliar and greatness almost always forces us into an arena where we are not entirely comfortable Because in the familiar, I can stay in control. I know what things mean. I can manage my safety factors. And I get outside of that. It shows my limitations. I'm working with a large church at the moment where I gave this advice every time a leader graduates to a new level of leadership, it exposes a new level of weakness. And if a leader wants to move up into new levels of responsibility, they have to have enough courage to face the level of weakness that gets exposed at that new level. Unfamiliar territory. I was in, uh, as I mentioned, I was in South Korea a couple weeks ago uh, teaching at Seoul Theological University. The class was... uh, filled with students from South Korea, Japan, the Philippines, India, Kazakhstan, and Micronesia. They all spoke English, but different grades of English. So you had to be careful about how you spoke, and speak slowly, had to choose your words wisely, had to check in to make sure that they were following what you were saying. At one point, I was talking about Moses and how God... How, how Moses used five excuses for not responding to the Lord's urging to go back to Egypt. And I say, how Satan used those insecurities in Moses' life. And how would Satan speak to you? And the Japanese students said, we wouldn't say that in Japan because there's such a strong spirit of spiritism in Japan that to say Is Satan speaking to someone would be, would be seen as a very negative thing. So in that arena, I was constantly faced with new ways of looking at reality. Now, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm actually a, a guy of routine. Like, I'm a little out of sync if I don't start the day at a coffee shop. So if I seem a little edgy this morning... Uh, So to force myself out of that routine and out of the familiar, while it is very energizing, requires something of me that internally is very sacrificial. You and I have this urge to maintain the familiar and in that urge, the Lord comes to us and said, what if I want to do a new thing? What if I I don't want to pour new wine in an old wineskin? Are you ready for that? Are you ready for the unfamiliar? 45 years in this business, most church fights are over somebody proposing something unfamiliar. Seems odd. All greatness is measured in part by the personal sacrifice required to achieve it. So let's finish with this question. What personal sacrifice is the Lord inviting you to make for a greater good? For you, for someone you love, for the kingdom of God. And will you do it? Let's bow our heads as we finish. It uh, it is not possible in a group of this size that the Lord is not calling some of us to an unfamiliar place, either in our spirit or in our relationships. Or in our tasks? Would you trust the Lord with that? It is not possible in a group of this size that the Lord is not inviting some of us to risk, to allow something we care about to be vulnerable or exposed. Can you trust the Lord with that? And in a group of this size, some of us have been deeply wounded by others. And you were right. Can you keep no record of wrong and let that go? Whatever the Lord is laying on your heart, we're going to take a moment and you just talk to Him you find in your spirit a yes to what the Lord is saying to you today. Would you do that? Let's just wait for a moment. we're not going to embarrass you, our heads are bowed in prayer but to honor the Lord who calls us to meaning and impact if you're saying a yes to the Lord about something he's saying to you this morning, would you just slip your hand up and put it down and say you know, I'm saying a yes to God today Yeah. yep, yeah. over here over here, all the way across the right and to the left, you bet Yeah, I see that you bet Lord, we thank you that wherever you find us, you love us, but you never leave us there. You always move us into fresh places. We are aware that those places involve sacrifice. But for the sake of meaning and impact... Live the life that our Savior lived we say yes to you and for all these across this room that are saying yes to you today Lord would you affirm that in their heart with some physical gesture maybe a, a word of scripture the words of a friend would you affirm it in their hearts and stabilize it in their spirit that they may act upon it in Jesus name we pray amen Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net. give Thanks.